0: welcome to the podcast we do recover with jared miller your host and i'm dr terry sellers your co-host this is a podcast about recovery from addiction we want to talk about what successful recovery can look like
1: brought to you by steps recovery center and the st george hilton garden Inn.
0: Episode 91 is underway. Today, I got a special episode for you guys. We're going to do a topic-based episode. And listen, I can't come on here and talk for 50 minutes by myself. So I had to do some serious recruiting this week. And I've got some guests on here to help me with this this topic. It's a big one. It's a good one. We're going to get to it. Uh, Let me introduce some of my friends that I've invited on the podcast. We'll start off with Shell Otteson. She is a clinical mental health counselor she works for steps recovery centers i have the pleasure of working with her on the clinical team she's amazing we have ty MP. ty MP is the marketing and intake coordinator at hope rising yeah buddy thanks for coming on buddy good to be here and then of course we got
2: dr terry sellers ghost <laughs> Oh no? Wait, no! No, no, my oh, filling,
0: my filling co-host. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's right. The prettier co-host, Mandy <laughs> Miller, right. and my wife. Is she's that, gonna.
2: Is that stealing someone's identity? Did I just steal his identity?
0: <laughs> a little bit. It's it's. it's Don't hard. sue me. <laughs> um, she's gonna come on, and from I think she's got some really good questions from like a family member's perspective, a normie's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good one. We always start off with though, is a little warm up, new and good. Practice a little positive psychology. So.
3: Ew.
4: And good.
0: It's pretty intense, right?
3: That felt pretty good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Shell, why don't you start us off? What's what's new? What's going on in your world?
3: Oh, what's doing good? I don't know. Well, doing this, this is pretty new. It's pretty good. Um, I went shoe shopping today. For me, that's always Ooh, good. Really
0: good? Always good. Shell always has fancy shoes. Fabulous shoes. That's like the talk of the week. Is what you know? What shoes is Shell going to come in, in with? Yeah. Where, do you, yeah. where do
3: you get them at? Today I went to Dillard's because I was feeling fancy. Oh,
2: all right. Bougie.
3: All right. Oh, very. Yes. Bougie. Everything was on sale, so I was Ooh. bougie light.
2: <laughs> Back to school, right?
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: There you go. There you go. All right, Empe.
0: What's new and good with
4: you? Um, probably the greatest thing in my life right now is my little 15 month old daughter. Just learned how to start blowing bubbles in the swimming pool. Adorable! It is. Oh, yes. I've been taking her out to the swimming pool quite a bit, and we're practicing going underwater and getting water on her face and things like that. And so she just learned how to start blowing bubbles. So she's getting comfortable sticking her face <laughs> in. And now she's she'll just bob her whole head and, and blow bubbles and pop up. It's super cute.
0: That's so. a, you're a blessed oh, man. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So that is awesome, Denovan. I see you over there. Yeah, not today, man. No? <laughs> not today. You don't want to talk about the four terabytes of four data? Four <laughs>
1: terabytes of, of gone data from my hard drive. We
0: walked in today, and Shell and I were like, oh, man, something's wrong. Like, I lost four tense. terabytes of data. Good times. Good times. <laughs> and then the beautiful Mandy Miller. What's new and good?
2: Um... Well school's starting next week and that was going to be my new and good last week but it wasn't because I wasn't ready. Still not ready but I'm more excited. So that's probably I'm excited for the kids to come back. Uh, I met one of the parents today and she was super excited for her kid to come. So you know just getting jazzed about that.
4: What grade do you teach?
2: I'm the life skills teacher, so 6th and 7th okay. grade for students with severe disabilities. Awesome. Yeah. So she great. studies
0: behaviors and stuff like that, too. It's mm-hmm. pretty Perfect. cool. Yeah. Yes. I'm her full-time project. There you go. That's why she <laughs> married me, right? Yeah. Special needs, Jared. So <laughs> thanks for, <laughs> what's, thanks what's for
2: checking What's your new and good, baby.
0: Jared? My new and good. Let's see. Um, you know, the Traeger. We got a treger a few weeks ago, and I have been smoking mm-hmm. so much meat on that mm-hmm. thing. I already have had to change out the, the pan tray twice. I mean, you, you name it, burgers, chicken, everything, fish, yeah. ribs, steak. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh. Yeah, pork loins, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm really loving how you're bringing it into work to share with your coworkers. That part's been really amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sorry. Sorry, I have it. Yeah, I'm no, just, no. I'm
3: just saying.
0: <laughs> I'll have to start doing that, though, because we have leftovers.
3: Camaraderie, team yeah, building. Yeah, I know, right? Think about the rest of us.
4: Okay, I, you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How's your supplement project you got going on oh it's great
0: it's you know right now i'm just waiting for the website to finish being built uh we got the labels that are coming in we have our custom boxes that we're going to ship them out on their way they actually
4: are delivered next friday Mm. so everything's coming together i feel like that'd be a hard industry to break into i feel like there's lots of those out there so that's cool That yeah
0: we're trying to go along the niche of the the like mental health type stuff right the nootropic style I don't know that we're I don't know that we'll ever do like the sports supplements because like no. you're saying there's tons, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited about it. Cool. Thanks for asking, man. Yeah, buddy. Let's get to the topic. Today is <clears throat> treatment talk. The idea that I got from this was I actually got an email from a listener and they said, Hey, you know, I'm struggling. I struggle with alcohol. I've never been to treatment. I hear you talk about treatment all the time. I'm kind of scared to death. So I thought, why not do an episode on that topic? Right. So we have like I said, Ty, who's does marketing and intake. How do they start the process, Ty?
4: Well, usually, like if if I ever get a phone call from somebody that has never been a treatment before, then a lot of times they 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 have no clue like what the process looks like, and so <clears throat> for me, I try to spend you know the. Especially the first few minutes of that first conversation with a new person, really just kind of like laying out an overall roadmap. Like, OK, so this is what it looks like. These are some of the hurdles. This is what we're going to go over. Um, so can I just start asking you questions? And then a lot of times just giving them kind of like a few steps ahead and say, OK, this is what needs to happen. It lets them feel like, OK. I can do this. I can do this, and you know, and really just lay it out for them and like, okay, I need this information. I need you to do that. I need to spend some time with you on the phone. Does that make sense? And they're like, okay, Absolutely. yeah, I can do that. And it lets them feel like, okay, I, I can, I can start doing this sort of thing. So
0: yeah, it gives them kind of the encouragement to to follow through. Yeah. So typically, though, there's an assessment, right? Because mm-hmm. when we talk about treatment, I think everybody thinks going away. Somewhere like the movies right babe like mm-hmm. you, you see the movies yeah. people go to rehab mm-hmm. they go away to a place that that does it, That's not always what it looks like mm-hmm. right typically there's an assessment that's done based on How much you've been drinking and how often mm-hmm. you're referred to a level of care.
4: Yes and the so the assessment that I do with them is very like Dumbed down very basic. It's just general information. It's not anything like the assessments that you guys do Like clinical assessments, right? Right, right. We don't dive into anything. Like we don't start making suggestions about behavior modification or anything like that. It's mostly just information gathering. Like, okay, where are you living right now? What what drugs are you using? What are you struggling with? How much are you currently taking any medications? Um, You know, do do you have a history of seizures? Um, You know, what does your insurance situation look like? Um, Do you have a job right now? Do you have any legal obligations? It's just really. Kind of a comprehensive overall view of what do you got going on in your life right now? How did you get to this point? Why do you need this service? And then that kind of helps me to say, like, okay, you know, yeah, this person is homeless and, you know, they are using needles to inject heroin. They probably need residential or detox or whatever. And so it's really just kind of getting all the information and then. Saying like, okay, I feel like this person kind of fits in here and then taking it to the clinical team and being like, hey, you know, this person is requesting a lower level of care, but I feel like they need a higher level of care. What do you think? You know, and then getting the clinical perspective from that.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of information gathering so that you can form some type of, mm-hmm. you know, where are they going to start? What's going to yeah. be the best thing for One
4: yeah. thing I want to mention with that, like a, a lot of people will call and like I try and let them know like, hey, I've got to get a lot of information and... I'll start asking them, like, okay, what are you using? How much? And how long have you been using that? And a lot of times people feel like I'm, like, interrogating them. And it's, we don't care. If you're calling, looking into rehab, I don't care what you're using. I don't care how much. I don't care how miserable your life is. No shit. I'm not going to call the cops. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. It's just so that we have a good understanding of your situation so that we can start to build up from that so if you're looking for rehab be prepared to just spill your guts and get it all out there we're here to help we're not, we're not trying to get you in trouble for you know the whole reason why you're calling
0: yeah absolutely not only that but we can't you can't really uh get the best care for you if you're not transparent and honest right right if you're like oh yeah i have a drink or two every once in a while mm. it's like. and but really you've been drinking a fifth a day yeah. you're gonna be miserable you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, at a lower level of care. Mm-hmm. Speaking of treatment, I totally spaced our sponsorship mention. Episode 91, Part 1 is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is, is ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801.
2: 801- 800
0: 8142 Bam! Woo! Good job, babe. It's almost like you heard that a time or two. One, huh? two times. Or you can check out their website, that's stepsrc.com. Again, they have uh, detox, inpatient, outpatient, aftercare. Uh, yeah, we love those guys. Thanks for sponsoring this podcast. And you work for Hope Rising, mm-hmm. which we network with, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny when we first started, I, I thought people were like, it, it's so different than I thought. You know what I mean? Like what the mean? camaraderie. And like I thought people, you know, like,
4: oh, I'm going to fl- flat. Um, hey, treatment my center flag, wars. R- yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You know, almost like high school rivalry yeah. type. I feel like that happens between clients more so than mm-hmm. like treatment centers. Treatment centers. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's like we're all neighbors doing the same thing, and it's like there's people that wouldn't be a good fit for our program that like need to go to steps, you know, and so it's and vice versa, and so it all works out. Like, unfortunately, there's plenty of people that are out there that are struggling with drugs, and so yeah. We need everybody, all the treatment centers, even more of them.
0: And but. I think, like you said, getting them to the best place is probably the most important. Yeah.
3: Well, I think that's the best part because it's heartbreaking when you realize that you're not a good fit. Mm. You're like, what's going to happen? I can't just send them out. You're like, wait, I have options. I have neighbors. I have people.
0: Absolutely. Or like for us, when we have clients that have maybe, you know, broken a behavior contract or mm-hmm. they're just no longer working out in our care, it's nice to have you don't, you don't want to just turn them away, no. right? Like that's abandonment. You want to be able to refer them to to somewhere where maybe they, that's their wake-up call and they have an opportunity to, to still get help. Absolutely. So my question now is for you, Shell. So they come in, right? Somebody like Ty helps them get into the place. What what type of – we were talking about this the other day in our clinical meeting. What type of modalities do you think work best for somebody with the substance abuse or, you know what I mean, some of oh, those mental health –
3: the big question. Um, here's the thing about modalities. And I, I say this knowing that I mostly do dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, I don't think it's one modality fits all. If you really want to help somebody, you got to meet them where they're at and find a treatment that's going to work for them. Um, I kind of like a potpourri of treatment. A little <laughs> bit here, a little bit there, a little smidge of that. Um, what's really going to help them? I can present something to a client and they're like, yeah, this is not working for me. I'm not feeling better. And so I'm like, all right, well, let's try something else.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I, I think for me a big indicator that helps is their self-assessments. Mm-hmm. Like, is their pause going down? Is there, you know, did they come in with suicidal ideation? Is that getting better? Like, and really just kind of tracking, okay, is, is this tool the right tool for this individual? Mm-hmm. If not, got to find a different tool.
3: Well, so much about it is getting to know your person, getting to know them. If you want to walk beside them and be their partner in their treatment, you got to get to know them. You know so much about mental health treatment and substance treatment. It revolves around this sense of moral failing Mm. and the shame and the blame and the, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want you to look at me and think of me. You really got to let people know I am sincerely here to be your partner in saving your own life. What's that going to look like? What's that going to mean for you? Not for me, but for you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a question that. for you, show. Okay. So what, because I'm used to, before they get into the program, I'm used to kind of explain the overall, like, very broad kind of overview of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, you know, the stuff that I talk about is more so like, this is what the schedule looks like. This is what kind of what the curriculum looks like. This is how long you should expect, things like that what advice would you have to a brand new client that barely gets into the program? Maybe even like the therapist team hasn't even met with them yet. What, what are like some, like some pointers, some ideas or yeah, yeah, like what, what advice would you have to somebody just coming in They're They're through the admissions process. They get into the program. What sort of like headspace should they be in or what sort of like problems should they expect or emotions to, Expect, like what advice would you have for them right when they get into the program?
3: This suddenly feels like a lot of pressure.
2: <laughs> um,
3: honestly, the thing that I tell all my clients on the first meeting, be willing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is willing. I'm open. I'm accepting. I want whatever's coming at me. Knowing that the people that you're coming to, they're here for you. Mm-hmm. They want to help you. They, they've heard things. They may have heard your thing. They've heard things Mm -hmm. and they're not there to judge you. They're there to help you and and come with the willingness. Come with the willingness. Come with the openness. Nobody likes going into the unknown. Right. Nobody likes going somewhere they haven't been. Nobody likes talking to people they don't know. Mm -hmm. But you've got to be willing. Mm -hmm. Be at least willing to give it a try. Mm -hmm. Just. Just try it and and be willing to advocate for yourself. Yeah. If you don't like something, please say mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Don't just sit there and say, well, I'm feeling worse and this is awesome, but this must be what it is to get better. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Physically, yeah, you're going to feel terrible. But emotionally, you got to start moving that metric towards at the very, very least, I feel safe. Bare minimum, I feel safe.
4: Yeah, I totally agree with that.
3: Did that kind totally of answer that. your question? Yeah, for sure.
4: Okay. I, I like how you, willingness was a big thing. And I, and I like how you said it's okay to talk about things that like you're struggling with or like might not agree with or like whatever, you know? Because I think a lot of times people come into treatment and they're like, they think that they're just going to be healed. And it's like, oh, I'm going here and all will be well and all my problems will go away. And then they get in there and they feel like leaving or they still feel like using or they're super sad or all these emotions start hitting them and they want to leave and they want to run but they feel like they can't tell the staff members about it because it's like oh I'll get in trouble and it's like yeah if if you if you feel like leaving talking about it if you're feeling like use in, talk about it. Like, this is the That's place to talk about yeah. all those things. Yeah, yes. so. That's the advice that I would give, right, is so
0: many times, and listen, when they first come in, it's understandable. Mm-hmm. You're in a new environment. You don't know any of these people. A lo- oftentimes, you're coming maybe from a different state, a different city, different location.
3: Worst summer camp ever. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, it, and, and so or I... The or, or the greatest. Or the greatest, yeah. But maybe um, not at first. So I, I think that once... If you haven't started actively participating, not participating with prompts, not getting called on, mm-hmm. if you haven't started started actively participating in groups after your first week, you're kind of just a butt in a seat. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you have some stuff <clears throat> you're struggling with, if you're going through grief, if you're going through shame, if you're going through some of the topics that keep us using, like you said, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the more it just sits in your head, the more you're gonna wanna run. Yeah. The more it sits in your head, the more you're gonna wanna use. The more that you sit there and you're, and you're quiet and you're kind of isolated in a room full of people, the, the less you're going to feel welcome, the, the less you're going to get connected, the less camaraderie amongst your peers you're going to build. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I always say, like I did a group this week and I handed out 10 pieces of toilet paper tissue. And I said, you know what toilet paper's for, right? <laughs> Getting rid of the the crap stuff you like that Sean I didn't I didn't cuss <laughs> thank you and so I, and so I tell them, like you know I want you to tear off a tissue and whatever you're struggling with dump it here leave it here okay. right after this group I don't want I don't want you to you know what I mean like let's, let's share it. let's get vulnerable let's get open
4: yeah
0: and mm. it's it usually it's awkward for the first minute or two it takes one mm. as soon as one person gets vulnerable boom it's like you watch it. it's like a domino yeah, effect that's cool People just need permission to go, this is about me really ugly. And is it safe to share it? But once they share it, it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't die.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first things I like to tell clients is emotions are not good. They're not bad. They're not wicked. They are signals. They are just signals from your brain saying, pay attention to this and resolve it. So if you're angry, it's because something's been taken from you. If you're sad, it's because you've experienced some kind of loss. If you're ashamed, it's because you know you weren't doing what you wanted to do. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, your brain, your soul, your heart, whatever you want to call it, just wants you to pay attention to it and resolve it. And that's it. And you would not believe the way that people's eyes light up. They're like, wait, so if I just follow this feeling and resolve it, I will feel better. It's like, that's the magic. Yep. And it didn't come from me. It was all <laughs> right, you.
0: Right, yep. I just provided the roadmap. Yeah. So I, I it's, we we're this is great stuff, and I love this, right? Because we're talking about motivation, internal, external, being vulnerable, being open. But I'm sure that there's some questions that people have, just general questions. Mm-hmm. So Mandy. Yes. You hypothetically need to go to treatment.
2: Okay. You're
0: considering it. Okay. What are some of the questions you're going to have for us?
2: Um. I think my first question would be, how long is it going to be? And uh, yeah, what to what do I need to expect? Because I mean, I probably have my job, probably have my family. Am I supposed to just leave them for months? Who's going to provide for them?
0: It's a great question. How's that
2: going to work. Yeah. So those would probably be my questions.
4: Do you ever get those questions, Ty? All the time. All the time. They're and and it's that's what I love about my job because, like. Generally, it's all the same, but everybody's story is so different and like one person might still have a job One person might not have a job one person might have kids that need to be taken care of one person might not you know And so I I just try to really ask as many questions uh, To you or whoever the client is and and really figure out their situation then just help them start problem-solving and so If you have a job, you know Does your boss know what's going on? Do you have FMLA? Do you have You know, do you have a way to take some time off work? Here's generally how long you can expect. You know, do you have family members that can help watch kids? How many kids do you have? Are they going to, you know, do you have family members close by? Um, And if if things don't line up, then, you know, we just keep trying to problem solve, whatever.
0: Let's get those kind of um, soft, right? We'll call them soft timelines because Mm -hmm. it depends on you. that's what a lot of clients don't understand if you come in and you sit and you're just a butt in a chair for two weeks Mm -hmm. you're probably going to do 45 days right Right. like how how active and how ready are you for change is a big thing that we monitor on the clinical side Mm -hmm. but what kind of soft timelines do you
4: give them um i 30 to 45 days is is about average we uh, i typically try to let people know it's going to be about a month or so. That's Back for, when just I for residential for, residential. residential, for
0: inpatient, where they have mm-hmm. to be away from their job and their family mm-hmm. and their kids.
4: Yep, And that that's kind of a good starting line. But like you said, like, what are you going to do with your time there? And, you know, are you going to waste time? Like, I, I always like to tell clients that, like, hey, everything you do, these therapists are going to put it in the computer and it's going to mm-hmm. be a little note that says, like, so-and-so is... Being really quiet and they're not participating. They need more time, you know, and so I uh, hit the ground running when you come in Hit the ground running. That's the best most effective way to not only get through it faster But to get more out of your experience in the time that you are spending away from your family and your job and all that sort of thing
0: So shells a rock star at this. Let's find out what that clinical note would actually sound like Oh, yeah, you got somebody <laughs> passive um, yeah. They they're not participate. What is what is when you're writing EUR utilization review, you're mm-hmm. asking for more time. Mm-hmm. What does that sound like?
3: Well, typically I go to to what are the behaviors I'm seeing. You know, client is showing resistance. They are not participating in treatment. They're withholding. It's clear that they're withholding in the session. There's been um, an incongruence between what they're writing on their OQ form and what they're telling in session, which speaks to either a lack of rapport. Or some of that deep-rooted shame that says, yeah, I want to fix this, but I'm not going to tell you about it. And, you know, I just kind of, I don't know, I put really big thesaurusy words on it. So, you know, <laughs>
0: the that's more for
3: me than than for anybody else.
0: I love it. I love it. But th- th- it's funny you say that, though, because it, it's so true, right? Every Every week the clients fill out a self-assessment form. And when you get a client that's like, you know... Anxiety Zero. Depression, zero. And yet they're sitting in the corner bouncing their knee and they're isolating, you know. They don't
3: even look at you without tears.
0: Right. Their average daily, like they can't get up on time and make it to TC. They can't do their chores. They can't dress themselves. They're unkept. It's like, okay, either you're living in a different reality than I'm seeing Mm -hmm. or you're just trying to paint a prettier picture than.
3: The resistance is strong with that one.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I love it. So.
2: When you're doing groups, is it always groups? Is it is it ever like by yourself?
0: Oh, we do group and individual therapy.
2: Is one more than the other? More what? Like, do you do more groups with people, more individuals with people? Is it like, like how much do you have to work with other people? Th- go this ahead. is what I.
4: Uh, you go ahead.
3: Well, I, it just depends. Like, I do four groups a week, and then I see my clients weekly, um, depending on my caseload. I mean, it's, I might see you know, 10 people a week and then do four groups. I might see four people a week and then do more groups. It just depends on what my, my load is. But, um, even if I don't meet with them individually, I'm always poking my head around like, you know,
0: reading tech notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What were you going to say, Chai?
4: I was just going to say, I was, I was tell people, you know there's a schedule planned throughout every day, and so generally, you know, you wake up, there's some sort of exercise, you either go to the gym or something, then you have some time to eat breakfast, get ready for the day, then you generally have like a morning block of classes, groups, sessions, whatever's on the schedule for that day, you break for lunch, and then afternoon session, um, like block groups and whatnot, and then, um. You know, you break for dinner and then usually in the evenings there's they go to meetings or downtime or work on assignments or whatever. And so every day is pretty planned.
3: That was like exactly it.
4: Yeah, like oh, well he, done. He nailed it right on <laughs> the head. Nailed that, it. I've answered that question. <laughs> have you guys seen
3: <laughs> have you
0: seen our schedule over there since <sighs> all right, stay tuned. We're gonna be back right after this thirty second break from our sponsors for episode ninety-one part two. Thanks for listening.
1: You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn.
2: I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And- once you become a The Steps family, you're just a part of The Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization.
1: We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Or beautiful Mandy Miller.
0: That's right. Filling in for the doc, Not Terry Sellers. Sellers. We hey, miss could, him. could you imagine, though, if you had a, you know what I mean? If you a were doctorate? a
2: doctor. I should have been.
0: Like we would be rich.
2: I know. I should have been. Filthy rich. My little sister did it. Why not yeah, me? I yeah. can do
0: it. Hey, shout out to Amy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Good choice. Doctor Repco,
0: Amy. Yeah.
2: What is she? Is it doctor?
0: P A. Physician's yeah. assistant. That's right. Well, let's get rock and rollin'. So, episode 91, part two is rock and rollin'. Uh, why don't you take our sponsorship mention?
2: Uh, so, our, our part two sponsorship is the Hilton Garden Inn uh, here in sunny St. George, Utah. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. We love it over there. Uh, the rooms are clean. The pool is great. Uh, great amenities. The staff is super friendly. So, yeah, if you're coming to St. George, check out the Hilton Garden Inn. They'll treat you right.
0: We now have more listeners outside of the state of Utah than we do in the state of Utah. That's cool. Arizona, Ooh. California, and Colorado all passed right. up Utah for downloads. Mm-hmm. And yes. we have them as far as Canada, Africa, Africa, Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, some shout out to London. Oh, I got some listeners in London. Yeah. So listen, if you're from not from here and you don't know what sunny St. George is, go to Google, type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. Right. Come visit, it's beautiful here. We have um, Zion.
2: Come in October through April. Yes. And maybe great, don't come like right now if you yeah, value it's warm, <laughs> you know,
3: your body it, temperature.
0: If you want to melt like a snowman, <laughs> come right now because it's right. like 110 degrees. Yeah. yeah. We're crazy that we live here in the summer, guys.
3: I have no idea why I live in the desert.
0: Let's get back after it. So we're talking about treatment, right? We're talking about kind of what to expect. We got, we got Mandy on here, you know, hitting with some great questions that we probably wouldn't think of because we do this every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is just life for us. Um, I love that Ty mentioned, and I'm just going to kind of echo, you know, it, it, if you're needing some help, when you make that phone call, don't sugarcoat it. Just give us, just, just be real, be raw, be honest. That's how, that's really the only way we can help you is if we know mm-hmm. what we're really dealing with. Shell was saying, you know, you got to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Be ready to come in and dump it. If you leave here with, with baggage, you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. right? Come dump it. Leave it here. Let Have us, that courage let us to be vulnerable. It. Yeah. All right.
2: Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Okay. So, So you talk a lot about residential and outpatient and what does all that mean?
0: Oh, yeah. The different levels of care?
2: Yeah. What are they?
0: Okay. So typically when you call somebody like Ty MP here on, uh, there's an assessment based on how much you've been using and for how long you've been using. Most likely the number one spot is detox, right? Ty, am I getting this right?
4: Yeah. I mean, if they're actively using, if they've been using for a while, you know, and depending on the substance, if, if they're in that everyday use sort of thing, and it's been, you know, a good amount of time, chances are your body's gonna go through a little bit of shock if you just stop. And so, yeah, detox would be the level of care recommended for that type of situation.
0: And if somebody's recommended this podcast to you and you're struggling with especially alcohol or benzodiazepines, please get a medical detox. Do not try to detox on your own at home. It can kill you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so that's usually where the first stop's gonna be, right? We're gonna get you physically, the goal of detox is physical stabilization. We can't treat you mentally if you die on us in a detox, right? So, so, wow, that was a scary thought. Yeah. But it's a real thought. Mm-hmm. It's happened. Uh, after that, typically, Shell, why don't you take it?
3: Um, after detox and they come into residential where they get to spend some time in the home with other people who are going through the same thing they are, probably fresh out of detox and everybody feels terrible. you're <laughs> um, Getting all these questions thrown at you and what brought you here and and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's like the real world, but without the good music. And
0: the thing that's beautiful about residential is it's going to give you enough time in a safe environment where you're not, you're going to overcome that chronic relapse, right? Because typically if, like Ty said, if you're using every single day when you come, you're going to have the drive and the desire to still want to use. So we take you, we put you in a safe space for 30 to 45, maybe 60 days, depending on how severe and then it gives your brain long enough that it's not screaming at you 24-7, we want to use, we want to use, we want to use. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, and a lot of a lot of times, at least from in my conversations with family members or people that are not the ones that are using the drugs, um, a lot of times people think that people who are using drugs are doing so just to get high. And they're like, oh, they're so selfish and all they care about is that good feeling. When in reality, like if a person gets to the point where they need to come to detox, they're not just using to get high. They're using so that they don't get sick. And and people who have never been through addiction or never been through withdrawal don't even understand that concept. And so it, I mean, because as tolerance builds up and, you know, if you've been using for a while, then it's, you know, if you don't get that, your body literally like starts to go into shock. And, you know, there can be, Seizures, seizures. blood pressure, heart rate, sweating, puking, all that stuff. Can't sleep, sleep too much, like all everything, you know. And so um, that's the purpose of detox is to help you get through that phase of stopping the using so that you can then be ready to jump into a program and, you know, go into like a residential type setting.
3: One of the first things that one of the main things when I'm talking about level of care is just really emphasizing safety, security, stability, because you cannot get well if you don't feel safe. You cannot get well if you don't feel secure. You cannot get well if you're still trying to survive. And so being able to reiterate, this person needs safety, security, stability, or we cannot save their life. And that, I always put that when I'm pushing for residential treatment, because I think that's critical.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and so then the next phase would be day treatment. Right. Mm -hmm. And typically, like Shell's saying, a big question I ask myself before I sign off on a client stepping down to day treatment is, does this client have what it takes to be able to get up on their own, make themselves something to eat, get themselves to group? start getting reacclimated into the community, right? Like are are they able to do that? Is that is that a possibility? And if the answer is no, then we're going to I'm going to ask for more time. Mm-hmm. If the answer is, you know what, yeah, like they they've become kind of a leader in the house. They're taking on other people that are coming in. They're, you know what I mean, mentoring like then yeah, they're probably ready for a lower level of care, which is PHP, partial hospitalization, 3.1 level of care. I know you probably don't need to know that, but we call it day treatment. Yeah. Day treatment. You're coming for well, Four to six basically hours a day Monday through Friday Monday through Friday. Yep, and then uh, Yeah, anything anybody want to talk about in day treatment
4: that that transition going from inpatient to an outpatient level of care is Like be prepared for that. So if anybody that is You know never been to rehab before if you're coming in if you're listening to this, you know the the part in inpatient is fantastic and it is residential serves a very important purpose, being a little bubble that it is and kind of getting you away from the world and away from, you know, people, places, things and whatnot. But you can't live in that environment forever. You're going to have to go back out to the real world. And, you know, there that comes with lots of scary transitions and, mm-hmm. you know, having to go back to where are you going to live? How are you going to get around? How are you going to get food? How are you going to, you know... Mm-hmm. Go back to work or take care of kids or whatever, Um, and and that that transition from inpatient to outpatient usually brings on a whole new flood of emotions that people start experiencing. And so, prepare yourself for that because that's that's when you know everything you've been doing in residential you got to start putting into practice. And it's like, all right, you know, time to expose you to some freedom again. Let's see how you do with it. You got
0: all this education and all these Mm -hmm. tools. But we can't make you implement them. You got to implement them.
3: I always tell my clients when they're getting ready to transition, I'm like, you remember what it felt like when you first moved out of mom and dad's house? (laughs) Yeah. It's that. Because it is. You got to go back to adulting. You got to go back to taking care of your own stuff. You got to go back to filling your own time. You probably got to go back to work. And on top of that, for 30 days prior to this, you were very ill. And your body's still like, okay, we're doing this now fine, let's, let's, uh, let's see what happens. And it is, it can be very overwhelming and I just want to put bubbles around everybody, but you just can't do that. I wish we could. I know.
0: You know, I think it's interesting too, Ty. I'm glad you brought that up because it made me, it made me think of this where we lose the most people throughout this whole levels of care process is typically the step down from residential to day treatment. Mm -hmm. And especially if they step down straight from residential to IOP Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. Life is going to hit you in the face. Let's say you're a mom, hypothetical, you know. You're a mom. You got to work. You got kids, right? And you've been struggling with alcohol. Well, we just took away your number one coping tool. So you go back to work. You go back home and you start taking care of kids. You're stressed out. Guess what? Your brain's going to be screaming at you.
2: We know how to cope with this.
0: The liquor store is still open. Mm. I mean, right? Am I right? It worked before.
2: It'll work again.
0: And that's why it's the hardest, right? Is because, or that euphoric recall. Like for me, I can't go to, when when I go to my mom's house, I love you, mom, if you're listening. uh, Every time I walk past a certain bathroom, it's like my heart starts reading, heart starts racing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the body keeps the score. Like it Mm -hmm. knows like, hey, that's where things happened. Right. And so that euphoric recall where you're like, oh man, you know, that was, it's funny that we don't remember the bad things. We remember the good things are the way. Does that make sense? Well,
3: trauma is felt as a reaction, not a memory. Ooh. It'll yeah. it'll ping and you're like, I'm feeling things. Oh. Oh, I'm feeling things. From yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> feeling things.
2: Feeling things from stuff. From stuff.
4: stuff.
3: <laughs> Thank you,
2: college education. Yeah.
3: Any,
0: any other questions you got? for?
2: Um, okay, so let's pretend i well, Hold
0: on, we still have one more level of care.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So then IOP, well, I guess two more. You have IOP, which what is, is that? intensive outpatient. Okay. Uh, usually it's early in the morning or later at night, right? That's usually when a lot of clients go back to work in full time if they've kind of phased back in. Um, that's, you know, like eight to 10 hours a week. So it's usually just two hours a day. And then after that, GOP, general outpatient, which that's just kind of a check-in, right? That's a maintenance stage. That's Mm -hmm. where you're coming. You're coming one night a week and, and just checking in. And and for us at Steps, you can stay, and I'm probably hope rising. You can be in GOP as long as you want. You're always welcome once you've been through. Mm -hmm. Again, it's maintenance. It's maintenance.
2: Okay. Very cool. All right. So let's pretend that I'm a family member and I have a loved one going into treatment. I've never experienced anything with treatment. How can I, let them know that I'm supportive without interfering with their healing process.
0: Shell, let's let you say at that at one. <laughs>
2: um, I think it's a two-parter. I think it's so important
3: and so critical for families to be involved, especially if they can be a healthy influence. And certainly, you know, when someone's going into treatment, hopefully they can have that conversation with their family saying, this is where I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to talk to you. And, you know, they kind of understand the whole release of information stuff. And, yes, you can call and ask. But something else to recognize is even if your family member in treatment has given permission for you to know about their care, they might have some things that they don't want you to know about. And on our end, they're gonna say, okay, you can tell them that I'm alive, but you can't tell them anything else. And, And we're restricted by that because we need to respect people's privacy and their right to privacy, even from their family members, because it's not just about treatment, it's about a family dynamic that they're walking away from and will someday go back to. So be supportive, be there, line up, ask your questions, show your support and love, But know that you might not be able to be involved at all levels of care, and that's between you and your loved one. And just know that it's going to take time because healing happens first here, and then it spreads
2: out. So how long can you not have contact with the family member? Is that the whole time or just?
4: Ty, go ahead and take that one generally, um, and I know what it looks like at our place, but there's generally a blackout period for the first week. And I think that's pretty similar for most treatment centers. Um, But there's blackout period for that first week. They want the client to come in, get acclimated to their surroundings, understand what the schedule looks like. After they've been there, they start to get all settled in. Then family members can start coming to visit on certain days. Uh, the clients are able to make phone calls at most places, um, and, and that becomes a privilege also for most places, I think, where you know if you're not doing what you're supposed to or if there's behavior issues, you might get your phone call privileges taken away. And so it depends. Um, I, I always like to tell families, no news is good news, uh, and so if if you don't hear anything, it's okay. Everything's going according to plan, but at some point, the therapists are going to want to start involving you and inviting you to the family groups, and somebody will reach out and tell you about where to come at what time and what it looks like and things like that. And also,
0: too, uh, at most facilities, like Ty's talking about,
4: we have family groups.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it it steps we do a family group and we also do like a family support group where it's just family members, no clients. And just for information, education to help kind of make them aware. Honestly, the the advice I would have for a family member is if you really want to be supportive, take their phone calls, come visit, join family group. But more importantly, find your own program. Mm -hmm. And that offends family members when I say that because they're like, well, I'm not the one with the problem. Mm -hmm. But you're involved with somebody who has a. You contribute in some way, even if you do not realize it. Alanon, Naranon, you know they have. We have craft, craft uh, right mm-hmm. through Usara here in Utah. Like, find your own program because, sure, it's it's your loved one's responsibility for their recovery. But if you truly want to support them, find out how you're contributing to their
4: substance abuse. I think well, that's.
3: Sorry. And attend to your own needs, your own mental health, self-secure needs, or you might inadvertently through no secure right in the front of your face fault of your own could be re-contributing to an issue. It's, It's a reality in families. You know, addiction is a secondary thing to lots of other stuff that might be going on. So take care of yourself so that you are in the best position to help someone who might still need you.
4: Yeah, that's great. I love it. I think that's one of the hardest conversations to have with family members is trying to help them understand the importance of themselves getting help and not, not even necessarily help, but just educate support. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Start support. learning stuff. And and it's, it's really hard for a family member to admit that probably for the longest time they have been suffering more from somebody else's drug use than that person that's abusing the drugs. Um, mm-hmm. When I know for me, when I was in my active using days, I didn't care if my family was suffering. I didn't care how pissed off they were or upset or I don't care how I burned bridges or whatever. They spent years like suffering and wanting to know and like having all this emotional pain and damage, they need to heal heal from that too. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard for family members to understand. Well, if I get smarter on how to set boundaries and, communicate better that's going to be what helps them the best a lot of times family members think like oh i need to give them rides and i need to give them gas money and i need to buy them food and i need to pay their bills that's not the case like you need to learn how to communicate better you need to learn how to set boundaries learn how to tell them no in a loving way um and and educate yourself the best thing family members can do is educate yourself and you do that by coming to these family groups and Mm -hmm. participating as much as you can and get yourself right. And that is the very best thing you can do for somebody that struggles with drugs close to you.
3: Agreed.
0: What you're talking about, there's a concept called universalism. A lot of clients come in and they have this idea, whether it's sharing about trauma, whether it's sharing about resentments, whether it's sharing about shame, they think in their mind, I'm the only person that's gone through this, right? Right. I'm unique. I'm, nobody else could understand my pain because it's so terrible. The beautiful thing about a group session is when you hear somebody else share your story, you're like, maybe I'm not so broken. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe they're... Now this person knows what I'm going through. They literally just said the exact same thing that I'm thinking or I'm feeling. That same thing happens in family support groups like the Al-Anons, the Nar-Anons, and the Crafts. When you sit and you hear a family member talk about... I I felt helpless. I didn't know what to do. I did, you know, I was angry one minute. I was sad the next. And you hear that you, you experience this, like I'm not alone. Universalism. Does that help? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that does. I feel like that would be very difficult to not to, to tell a loved one. No, when you know, they're struggling Mm -hmm.
0: for sure. But but sometimes it's the best thing that you can do. Right? Like I always, I always tell family members, I say, listen, I didn't get clean. Until my mom stopped enabling me. When, when I called her and said, hey, bail me out of jail. And she said, sorry, bud, I can't. Well, now I got to deal with it. Now I've got to fix my own problem. Because guess what? It was a lot easier for other people to fix my problems for me so that I could have my cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. But when I started having to clean up the messes that I was making myself, that's not fun. Does, does, yeah. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. But I get it. Tough love. Yeah. It's, it's hard. a hard, it's a hard thing,
2: for sure. Um, this is probably a little bit of a curveball, but um, I, treatment is scary. It's a scary thing, right, to go into. What are some like common fears that people have? And I mean, how do you guys address that?
0: Shell, you want to, from we your give experience, give me the
2: curveball. <laughs> Honestly, the
3: probably the biggest one that I've seen in all of the treatment I've done is the the guilt and shame of having been in this position and the fear of your own feelings, the fear of what would it be like to actually sit with my sorrow? Mm-hmm. What would it be like to actually have to explore my anger and sit with it, not escape it, not numb it, not point it elsewhere, but actually deal with it and manage it? That's what I see is the biggest challenge is just people being willing to sit with themselves, not realizing that they've been with themselves this whole time, but actually really getting to know yourself, to be curious about your, th- your thoughts, your feelings, your life, and be, again, willing and vulnerable to say, I, I, I will sit here with this, it's gonna be horrible, and I'm terrified. And I think that's why our job is so important be willing to say, I will sit here with you mm. and we will ride out the storm and you don't have to be afraid of yourself.
4: I think that's beautiful that you I, said that because, that so Mandy, good. when you asked that question, my my head went to my own like, you know, some of the biggest fears that I have, you know, and I think that everything you just said is something that a lot of times people don't even anticipate that until they're there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that one of the biggest fears before you get to rehab is just leaving this world behind and Mm -hmm. having to not know what it's going to look like. And, you know, I think a lot of times people don't even comprehend how much more afraid they're going to start feeling once they're there and Mm -hmm. all the emotions start coming back and everything you've been running from. Slaps you right in the face, and you mm-hmm. got to start dealing with it now. And it's like, oh crap! I'd, I, I kind of made a big mess. I got how am I ever going to come back from all this? And and you don't think about that when you're using. You know, I, I think the big fears are, you know, am I gonna am I gonna be able to smoke cigarettes, or am I gonna be able to, you know, make phone calls or check my Facebook or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. very simple things like that. And and then when you get there, you're through the withdrawals detox is done and now you got to start dealing with all of your behaviors you got to start changing it's like oh man like this might be a little bigger than I thought
3: I saw a great quote and I wish I could credit the actual creator of it but it basically said the reason that people don't want to change is it's not because of what they're going to gain is what they have to give up Mm. and I think you know we see that a lot a lot oh "Oh, man who am I going to be if I'm well
0: yeah yeah, it's just this last week I called out a client and I said, What would you do without your misery? You're in love with your misery. Mm-hmm. And but you know what though, in those moments that may sound harsh, it was eye-opening for this individual.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: They they literally on their takeaway sheet, they they wrote, I learned something about me that I didn't even realize.
3: Yeah.
0: And and for some people, those are the breaks that they need. That direct, you know, maybe a little harsh feedback. Uh, can, can really give them a perspective that they've never seen before. they have never considered. I was going to say one of my biggest fears is I can't tell you how many times I tried getting clean on my own and I would make it a day or I would make it two days and then I'd fall on my face again, or I'd make it three days and I'd fall on my face again. And so I think a big fear coming from an ex opiate addict was how long am I going to be sick? Am I going to be able to withstand the the physical withdrawals? How long am am I physically going to feel cruddy for? Because listen, it wasn't fun after after a minute. Like my last probably couple years, I wasn't using because it was like party time. I was using because I had to go to work, I had to show up and be a dad for my kids. I had right like it's that physical hook that was in me. So for me, that's that's what my biggest fear would be. Yeah. Oh
3: yeah.
0: Anything you we got about a minute and 15 seconds left. Any kind of burning desire messages that you want for somebody out there that's thinking about treatment. Just open it up.
4: I want to say be prepared like I think what people need to understand is that when you come to rehab, we don't just have like a cure. We can't we don't just fix people and then send them back, you know, and they're all fixed, whatever. Like we don't have any magic potions or secret tricks that is hidden from the world you don't come to rehab and just get it handed to you like the whole purpose of rehab is to create a therapeutic environment so that hopefully a person can come and go on their own spiritual journey Mm. and have their own like self-discovery and understand like hey i've got things about myself that i need to change and that part takes work and so don't just come and expect to sit in a chair and be told everything that you need to do, and then you're going to be healed. Like, come, like, pay attention to what you need to change. Well said. Thank you guys so much
0: for coming on here. This was fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Listen, 50-something minutes flew by. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, babe. You had some great questions. I would have been stumbling through it without you. Thanks, Dr. Sellers. Yeah,
2: yes. you got it. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> Joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any
1: topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook
0: page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening.
1: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.